spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic, and sometimes not-so-classic, monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio! Welcome to week two of Black Clock Audio Tales. Halloween, October, spooktacular, or whatever the hell we're calling it this year. Uh, we are live, as live can be right now, from Sam's Billiards and beautiful Hollywood neighborhood of the East Side Industrial District of Portland, Oregon. And this is week two of Ghost Stories. Remember, you can help support the show by going to pgttcm.com and donating a buck or five or twenty or fifty. Help keep the show going. Join our beer cult, our t-shirt cult, or even just our cult where you're, uh, I don't know, you get your name read. I can't remember what we call that. Spectral cult? I don't know. Go to pgttcm.podbean.com and become a patron of the show. And hey, why not check out our final show of the Tuesdays of the month, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, with me. Who knows who the guest will be? Will it be Ken Height? Will it be Rodney Anonymous with the Dead Milkman? Who knows? It's crazy to say we love you, you love us. Thank you so much for listening and donating and helping the show grow. Subscribe. Tell your friends about it. Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, I don't know what's out there. Great review, five-star given, high-five. Scandinavian. Author, various. Story, tales of treasure. There are still to be seen near Flensborg, the ruins of a very ancient building. Two soldiers once stood on guard there, but when one of them was gone to the town... It chanced that a tall white woman came to the other and spoke to him, and said, I am an unhappy spirit who has wandered here these many hundred years, but never shall I find rest in the grave. She then informed him that under the walls of the castle a great treasure was concealed, which only three men in the world could take up, and that he was one of the three. The man who now saw that his fortune was made promised to follow her directions in every particular, whereupon she desired him to come to the same place at twelve o'clock the following night. The other soldier, meanwhile, had come back from the town just as the appointment was made with his comrade. He said nothing about what, unseen, he had seen and heard, but went early the next evening and concealed himself amongst some bushes. 
When his fellow soldier came with his spade and shovel, he found the white woman at the appointed place. But when she perceived that they were watched, she put off the appointed business until the next evening. The man who had lain on the watch to no purpose went home and suddenly fell ill. And as he thought he should die of that sickness, he sent for his comrade and told him how he knew all and conjured him not to have anything to do with witches or with spirits, but rather to seek counsel of the priest who was a prudent man. The other thought it would be the wisest plan to follow the advice of his comrade. So he went and discovered the whole affair to the priest, who, however, desired him to do as the spirit had bidden him, only he was to make her lay the first hand to the work herself. The appointed time was now arrived, and the man was at the place. When the white woman had pointed out to him the spot, and they were just beginning the work, she said to him that when the treasure was taken up, one half of it should be his, but that he must divide the other half equally between the church and the poor. Then the devil entered into the man, and awakened his covetousness, so that he cried out, What? Shall I not have the whole? Scarcely had he spoken when the figure, with a most mournful wail, passed in a blue flame over the moat of the castle, and the man fell sick and died within three days. The story soon spread through the country, and a poor scholar who heard it thought he had now an opportunity of making his fortune. He therefore went at midnight to the place, and there he met with the wandering white woman, and he told her why he was come, and offered his services to raise the treasure. She, however, answered that he was not one of the three, one of whom alone could free her, and that the wall in which was the money would still remain so firm that no human being should be able to break it. She told him that at some future time he should be rewarded for his good inclination, and, it is said, when a long time after he had passed by that place and thought with compassion on the sufferings of the unblessed woman, he fell on his face over a great heap of money, which soon put him again on his feet. The wall still remains undisturbed, and as often as anyone has attempted to throw it down, whatever is thrown down in the day is replaced again in the night. Three men went once in the night time to Clumhoy to try their luck, for a dragon watches there over a great treasure. They dug into the ground, giving each other a strict charge not to utter a word whatever might happen, otherwise all their labor would be in vain. When they had dug pretty deep, their spades struck against a copper chest. They then made signs to one another, and all, with both hands, laid hold of a great copper ring that was on the top of the chest, and pulled up the treasure. When they had just got it into their possession, one of them forgot the necessity of silence and shouted out, One pull more, and we have it. That very instant the chest flew away out of their hands to the lake store up. But as they all held hard, on the ring it remained in their grasp. They went and fastened the ring on the door of St. Olaf's Church, and there it remains to this very day. Near Dangstrup there is a hill, which is called Dangberg Dons. Of this hill it is related that it is at all times covered with a blue mist, and that under it there lies a large copper kettle full of money. One night two men went there to dig after this treasure and they had got so far as to lay hold of the handle of the kettle. All sorts of wonderful things began then to appear to disturb them at their work. One time a coach, drawn by four black horses, drove by them. 
Then they saw a black dog with a fiery tongue. Then there came a cock drawing a load of hay. Still the men persisted in not letting themselves speak, and still dug on without stopping. At last a fellow came limping up to them and said, See, Dangstrup is on fire. When the men looked towards the town, it appeared exactly as if the whole place were in bright flame. Then at length one of the men forgot to keep silence, and the moment he uttered an exclamation, the treasure sank deeper and deeper, and as often since, as any attempt has been made to get it up, the trolls have, by their spells and artifices, prevented its success. The End, Folklore and Legends, Scandinavian, Author Various, Story, Tales of Treasure. Recording by Peter Yearsley Uncle Abraham's Romance by E. Nesbitt No, my dear, my Uncle Abraham answered me. No, nothing romantic ever happened to me. Unless, but no, that wasn't romantic either. I was, to me, I being eighteen, romance was the world. My Uncle Abraham was old and lame. I followed the gaze of his faded eyes, and my own rested on a miniature that hung at his elbow chair's right hand, a portrait of a woman whose loveliness even the miniature painter's art had been powerless to disguise, a woman with large eyes that shone, and face of that alluring oval which one hardly sees nowadays. I rose to look at it, I had looked at it a hundred times. Often enough in my baby days I had asked, Who's that, uncle? And always the answer was the same. A lady who died long ago, my dear. As I looked again at the picture, I asked, Was she like this? Who? Your, your romance? Uncle Abraham looked hard at me. Yes, he said at last. Very, very like. I sat down on the floor by him. Won't you tell me about her? There's nothing to tell, he said. I think it was fancy mostly, and folly. But it's the realest thing in my life, my dear. A long pause. I kept silent. You should always give people time, especially old people. I remember, he said in the dreamy tone, always promising so well to the ear that loves a story. I remember, when I was a young man, I was very lonely indeed. I never had a sweetheart. I was always lame, my dear, from quite a boy, and the girls used to laugh at me. Silence again. Presently he went on. And so I got into the way of mooning off by myself in lonely places. And one of my favourite walks was up through our churchyard, which was set on a hill in the middle of the marsh country. I liked that, because I never met anyone there. It's all over, years ago. I was a silly lad, but I couldn't bear of a summer evening to hear a rustle and a whisper from the other side of the hedge, or maybe a kiss as I went by. Well, I used to go and sit all by myself in the churchyard, which was always sweet with the time, and quite light on account of its being so high, long after the marshes were dark. I used to watch the bats flitting about in the red light, and wonder why God didn't make everyone's legs straight and strong, 
at wicked follies like that. But by the time the light was gone, I had always worked it off, so to speak, and could go home quietly and say my prayers without bitterness. Well, one hot night in August, when I had watched the sunset fade and the crescent moon grow golden, I was just stepping over the low stone wall of the churchyard when I heard a rustle behind me. I turned around, expecting it to be a rabbit or a bird. It was a woman. He looked at the portrait. So did I. Yes, he said. That was her very face. I was a bit scared and said something. I, I don't know what. She laughed and said, Did I think she was a ghost? And I answered back. And I stayed talking to her over the churchyard wall till it was quite dark and the glowworms were out in the wet grass all along the way home. Next night I saw her again. And the next, and the next. Always at twilight time. And if I passed any lovers leaning on the stiles in the marshes, it was nothing to me now. Again my uncle paused. It was very long ago, he said shyly, and I'm an old man, but I know what youth means, and happiness, though I was always lame, and the girls used to laugh at me. I don't know how long it went on. You don't measure time in dreams. But at last your grandfather said I looked as if I had one foot in the grave, and he would be sending me to stay with our kin in Bath, and to take the waters. I had to go. I could not tell my father why I would rather die than go. What was her name, uncle? I asked. She never would tell me her name, and why should she? I had names enough in my heart to call her by. Marriage? My dear, even then I knew marriage was not for me. But I met her, night after night, always in our churchyard, where the yew trees were, and the old crooked gravestones, so thick in the grass. It was there we always met, and always parted. The last time was the night before I went away. She was very sad, and dearer than life itself, and she said, If you come back before the new moon, I shall meet you here just as usual. But if the new moon shines on this grave, and you are not here, you will never see me again any more. She laid her hand on the tomb against which we had been leaning. It was an old, lichened, weather-worn stone, and its inscription was just Susanna King's North, Ob 1723. I shall be here, I said. I mean it, she said, very seriously and slowly. It is no fancy. You will be here when the new moon shines. I promised, and after a while we parted. I had been with my kinsfolk in Bath for nearly a month. I was to go home on the next day, when, turning over a case in the parlour, I came upon that miniature. I could not speak for a minute. At last I said, with dry tongue and heart beating to the tune of heaven and hell, Who is this? That, said my aunt. Oh, she was betrothed to one of our family years ago, but she died before the wedding. They say she was a bit of a witch. A handsome one, wasn't she? I looked again at the face, the lips, the eyes of my dear lovely love, whom I was to meet tomorrow night when the new moon shone on that tomb in our churchyard. Did you say she was dead? I asked, and hardly knew my own voice. Years and years ago, her name's on the back, and the date. 
I took the portrait out of its case. I remember just the colour of its faded, red velvet bed, and read on the back, Susanna King's North, Ob, 1723. That was in 1823. My uncle stopped short. What happened? I asked breathlessly. I believe I had a fit, my uncle answered slowly. At any rate, I was very ill. And you missed the new moon on the grave? I missed the new moon on the grave. And you never saw her again? I never saw her again. But uncle, do you really believe? Can the dead, was she, did you? My uncle took his pipe and filled it. It's a long time ago, he said. A many, many years. Old men's tales, my dear. Old men's tales. Don't you take any notice of them. He lighted the pipe and puffed silently a moment or two before he said, But I know what youth means, and love and happiness, though I was always lame, and the girls used to laugh at me. End of Uncle Abraham's Romance by E. Nesbitt